didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hi, welcome back to Didn't See It Coming. I'm Mark Stoiber, and I've got Joe Kaufman on the line. Joe, welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm excited to be here. How's that for a short intro? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> short intro, short, non-specialized uh, intro. What we want to talk about today is specialization. <laughs> now, uh, I, Joe, you and I both, we, we, come, we come from a background in advertising. Uh, we were actually introduced through a specialist service, a dating service that, that hooks up podcasters with, uh, with people who are interesting to talk to. Exactly, and hopefully I, I, I suit the bill. Well, I, th- I think I, you and I have talked for a while already. I think you, you suit the bill perfectly, but I, I think that kind of fits into the theme of the story. It's, it's, uh, there are a, a raft of services sprouting up replacing the old department store ad agency, the, the full-service agency that seems to be very much a relic of the 1980s. And, uh, you know, you... Uh, you and I were connected by a specialist service that you know connects podcasters with uh, interesting uh, people, and you yourself are creating a, a company that connects interesting services with brands. So talk yeah. to me about that. Sure. So I founded Agency Sparks about two and a half years ago, and we are essentially a dating service for brands and specialist marketing agencies. Um, and actually, I found an interesting quote that was fairly recent that will kind of highlight why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. So Dana Anderson is the chief marketing officer of Mondelez International, you know, giant international snack foods company. And she was recently quoted in the New York Times, or sorry, it was the Wall Street Journal. Um, it's not just po- it's just not possible for one agency to be expert in all areas. We went from a handful of agencies of record to uh, working with over a dozen different agencies. And so, when the CMO of Mondelez is telling you that she is wanting to focus on specialist agencies that are best of breed in a single discipline rather than trying to be good at everything, I think that's the way agency relationships are going where, where, you know, brands are really looking to hire an expert in a single discipline, uh, rather than general. Now, I, I, I remember being in the agency world, our comeback to that used to be, uh, yeah, that's great. But now you've got, uh, 10 different people to deal with. You've got 10 different throats to choke. You've got a whole bunch of horses and or you're herding cats rather. Uh, what's the argument to that? Yeah, uh, the one neck to choke argument is the is the really only compelling generalist argument. Um, the reality is, uh, I feel that the marketer should be more like a, we used to say a conductor of a symphony of of agencies, but I think it's almost more like the leader of a jazz quartet. And <laughs> you know, I I, I'm all about I'm all about analogies, right? Uh, but to me, the jazz quartet. I mean, you're. Your job as the brand is to make sure that the, the, the players in the quartet are working in harmony and that they're, you know, not stepping on each other's toes and that they're playing in time, you know, and then they've done, they put in the appropriate amount of practice so that they're talented. But, 
you know, it's sort of like saying, uh, to use one more analogy to muddy the waters even further, mm-hmm. uh, it's like the difference between a general practitioner, physician, and going to a real specialist. Uh, you know, if you uh, break your nose, uh, your general practitioner will likely refer you to an orthopedic specialist that could help repair your nose. Uh, and you know, sort of like uh, uh, we want to be like that general practitioner where brands come to us and they have a very specific need and we can refer them to an agency that is absolutely expert at delivering on that specific need. Yeah. Um, where a client may need more than one discipline, then it's worth managing multiple agencies to get true expertise. Now, uh, I just I just took on a virtual assistant and um, I picked up a book by Chris Ducker called Virtual Freedom, and he talks about uh, you know the right way and the wrong way to do this. Uh, you know to figure out exactly what you're looking for, to find the skill set exactly that will fit fit that um, that that brief, and then you know don't just let the person go. But what that calls for is that you know I, as the person hiring my virtual assistant or my virtual website builder or my virtual whatever, uh, I have to be pretty damn disciplined. I have to know exactly what I'm looking for. This, to me, the model that you've got suggests that um, chief marketing officers or chief brand officers inside of brands are going to be coming back up in the world. They're going to be rising in importance again. Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely. And another reason, there's another skill set that's needed as part of this mix that hopefully Agency Sparks provides, well, I know we provide, which is curation. Mm. So, To give an example, um, I decided to compile a list of all of the independent marketing agencies in in our market, and we're here in the metro Atlanta area. And, you know, I actually had breakfast this morning with a friend who was in the agency business, and I had him try to guess how many agencies were on that list. Mm -hmm. And he said, 40? I said, more? 60? More? 80? More? No. There are about 100 independent marketing agencies just here in the metro Atlanta area. And there are probably another 20 that I just didn't even know about that we didn't know about. But that doesn't even include any holding company agencies. And my guess is that there's a similar ecosystem in every major market Mm -hmm. in the United States and Canada that you know, there are there are definitely a hundred in San Francisco, and there are a hundred in Seattle, and there are a hundred in Boston, and there are a hundred in Vancouver, and there are a hundred right. in Toronto. Right. And you know, I, I think um, that's a lot of mess to wade through to try yeah. to figure out which one is right for you. So you, that's where you need somebody that can help cut through the clutter and understand. You know, well, while this agency could do video for you, this one specializes in video, and they're really good at it. While this one could help you with your social media or your email or your website or whatever, this is what they're really, truly best at. And so that's part of – we often find that brands are coming to us and saying, I'd like to work with an expert, but I don't know where to begin. Yeah. Now, handoffs. Uh, one of the big problems we used to have working in agencies was handoffs. Specifically, uh, the client would hire a research firm 
And the researchers would do their job, and then they would hand us a report, which was absolutely useless. And then we would be left to interpret the research. And but you know, you always get the sense almost like the trades, trades that don't like each other, and sort of hand off jobs in an almost uh, not hostile, but not not terribly caring way. And as generalists, we used to say, you know, the thing is, we know all. I know the researcher. I know the executor. Um, you know, so it's every step along the, the way we know each other, we get each other. How do you bridge that gap that you don't just get all these handoffs, you know, between uh, art directors and designers and coders and programmers and, and um, strategists? How do, you, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, well, it, it, your handoff analogy is funny. I, it just reminded me of, of a rumor that I'd heard that when Bill Clinton left the White House and George W. Bush was about to come to the White House, the uh, Clinton administration played a joke on the Bush administration and removed all of the W's from every uh, computer keyboard in the White House. Uh, and, and I sort of feel like maybe that's what your research company, like, begrudgingly hands over the report, you know, uh, with maybe a little bit left out on purpose and things yeah. like that, because they, there's no incentive for them to work together. Well, going back to the analogy of the, the, the conductor of the jazz quartet, um, you know, part of your job as the brand is to make sure that that everybody plays nicely in the sandbox and they're working in harmony, <laughs> to use the uh, music analogy even further. You know, they're working in harmony with each other. I, I'll give you an example of uh, a brand that does this particularly well. Um, uh, and it's a slightly controversial brand, but here, based in Atlanta, we have Chick-fil-A, which is a pretty large you know, quick serve restaurant focused on chicken, mm-hmm. and it's it's growing really rapidly. Well, they are very firm believers in expertise and and best of breed versus generalists. And so, when I was on the, I spent six years um, at a fairly large independent agency, and we were the social media agency records for Chick Fil A for for many years, and. We worked really closely with the PR firm, with the traditional advertising agency, with the web design agency, with the mobile shop. Um, uh, they had a host of agencies, and there were times when we had meetings together with the other agencies without the client even being present. Mm-hmm. With with the goal of being, how are we going to work together? You know, we each have our own piece of the pie. We know that if we really fight hard to try to eat into somebody else's piece, Mm -hmm. that Chick-fil-A is going to be pissed off and going to fire us. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out how to play nicely together so that we can best serve the client and grow the pie overall, right? That was the goal for us and the other agencies was rather than focusing on stealing other pieces, let's grow Chick-fil-A's business so that we all have larger you know, they become an even more important and bigger client for us. Now, uh, that, I mean, what what that assumes is that everybody, uh, it's the old, what is it, the old Goldman Sachs line, don't let your short-term greed get in the way of your long-term greed. So think of the big mm-hmm. picture, think four projects down. If, if you get greedy now, you might win the battle, but you'll definitely lose the war. Um, that, that brings us to another analogy you and I were talking about before. And when you said harmony, I, I jumped immediately to eHarmony. 
the dating service. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I I love this analogy because you're not Tinder, you're not you're not talking about hookups which are very much about short-term gratification. You're talking yeah. about long-term relationships and marriages. So so tell me how how do you create these long-term relationships and and, and you got to talk about Valentine's Day too. You got to talk. Sure, sure, sure. So so kind of two things uh, part of the role that we play is um, we do have to do a little bit of discovery on our end with the client, right? So often we either we proactively reach out to a client or increasingly as we've, you know, now that we're two and a half years in and we've grown, um, now often clients are reaching out to us to say, I need help. You know, help me figure out. So we're one part search consultant, right? Mm-hmm. Search consultants are typically paid by the client to find an agency. Mm-hmm. We're actually paid by the agency to find a client. Um, I think it would be tough for us to do both. You know, it, mm-hmm. it could be cross some ethical lines if the client is paying us and then the agency is paying us. Guess which agencies we would always recommend? The yeah. ones that are paying us, right? Yeah. But, but still, uh, our goal is to serve the client as best we can as an honest broker to say, look, let's talk about your needs. And as we grow, you know, as you grow, what are the things you need most? And if we have an agency that's a perfect fit for them, then we make a referral and we, we set up the first date. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no guarantee of a kiss at the end of that date. That's up to the agency and the brand mostly to decide if they want the kiss at the end of the date. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I joked with you earlier, we're not marriage counselors either. And, and um, you also said, you also, sorry for interrupting. I'm just a chronic interrupter, yeah. but you also said that a lot of agencies have a hard time figuring out how to, how to kiss the girl. Maybe that's, maybe that comes true. with being specialists that they're so into their niche that, uh, uh, you know that that they're not as as well developed in the new biz department. Yeah, and and we do have to do a little bit of that too, which is the, to your point. These agencies are so focused on doing great work for their clients, but in some respects, they're not so good at marketing themselves to mm-hmm. potential clients. And so we do have to do a little bit of coaching here and there, which is you know, hey, here's how you should present yourself in a way that really will resonate with this particular client. Uh, But we also have to coach the client in some regards to say, you need to be clearer with your brief and what your goals are and your key performance indicators are so that we can match you with the right agency. We never, ever want to force feed an agency to a client that's not a good fit. And often we will, if a client comes to us and what they're looking for is absolutely not within our, our portfolio of agency partners, mm-hmm. then we are happy and quick to make a referral outside of those partners to another agency that would be a good fit. Right. So I'll give you an example. Like we don't have a multicultural agency as part of our um as part of our network right now. Um, and if somebody came to us and said, we're really trying to figure out how to tap the Asian market or the, the Latin market or African-American community or whatever the, the market they're trying to reach, then we'll make a referral to a multicultural agency where while we're not working with them as part of our network, they are, you know, we have relationships outside of that too. I also find um, that, that we're, I don't know if you're, if you find this, but I, I see us moving more and more into a karma economy. 
where, uh, you know, people are, I find myself referring, uh, folks to other folks and uh, more than I ever have before. And, um, it, it used to be, you know, I remember when, uh, was it Ray Kroc who wrote, uh, or somebody in, at McDonald's wrote this book Coopetition, and it was a real earth shaker. The whole idea mm-hmm. how you can, you know, uh, help your competitors and in doing so they'll help you as well. And I thought that was just upsetting the apple cart completely. Um, it used to be all trade secret and you can't have it and it's mine. And now it seems like we're very much into, hey, you know what? I can't do this. This guy is going to do it. And you count on them coming back to you. Do you think that Agency Sparks is is, is uh, digging into that a little bit more too? Yeah. And uh, to your point, you know, could McDonald's really be the top QSR without Burger King? And could, could Coke really be the number one soft drink in the world without Pepsi? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Like you need a foil of some, some respect. But to your point, um, the other thing about the karma economy is I think karma sometimes leads to business, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you start with the karma, then it leads to other business. And I'll give you a, a good example from our business. Um, not only are we, you know, a dating service for brands and agencies, but often I find that we are connecting uh, brands with talent in that, so, so somebody comes to me, a CMO comes to us and says, I'm looking for a director of e-commerce, mm-hmm. and we will help them find the director of e-commerce and help them place, place them at this company. And, you know, by doing so, we've both ingratiated ourselves to the CMO, who now has filled a very key position within the company, but also, obviously, that person that we help place in the job is also very happy to think about us when they start to do their agency search. So it's a good example. And we've done, we've started to add some additional services, right. including recruiting on the side, because you know, we've been doing it on an amateur basis for so many years. Why not get paid for it and really dig into it and help people? Um, and it's funny, not only is it my day job, but it's also a hobby. Um, I can think of at least four marriages that have resulted from me introducing people <laughs> to each other. <laughs> now, again, I'm not guaranteeing that they're all still married because we're not, I'm not a marriage counselor. But at least making the connection, it's, it's both... Yeah, you know, it's fun. but it, it's just a mentality, right? You have a skill, yeah. obviously, for seeing. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell talks about the different uh, archetypes, and I am absolutely the the ultimate connector. Yeah. Um, and, and I surround myself with others that are the same. I mean, my team here at Agency Sparks, everybody here is always interested in making connections between people, and that's it's not only our work, but it's fun now, for us. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. You, take a step back. You're connecting skill sets with, uh, brands. Um, I like, you know, in, in didn't see it coming. I talk a lot about the skill sets that are going to be needed for brands to thrive in, in an age of unpredictability. Are there any skill sets that you're seeing that are on the rise right now? You know, it all used to be coders, programmers, coders, programmers, uh, performance-based marketing. Um, is, is there something new and hot? Is it, is it data analysis? What's, what's, the, what's the new skill that everybody's looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think programmatic buying is growing, and a lot of old marketers are afraid of programmatic. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there's a new set of kind of data-focused um, you know, there's data skills and understanding and analytics um, are something that are more and more important. But here's the thing. I am not a 
sky is falling, the world is changing. At the end of the day, I still think there's place for creativity. You know, creative, good quality creative has the power to move somebody to take action. Whether that action is to buy a candy bar or to fill out a form to be a lead for a service company or, or for a B2B company, or that, you know, even if that, that, that action that you're looking for is somebody to share your piece of content, mm-hmm. there is something to be said for people who create. I, I have the utmost respect for people who create. Um, one of my favorite quotes in the world uh, is by Theodore Roosevelt, and it's a long quote, but the, the key phrase within the quote is, dare mighty things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the actual full quote is called the man in the arena. But the concept of the quote is, you know, critics don't matter. I'm sorry, this is not exactly answering your question, but <laughs> critics no, don't matter. It, 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 critics, it's easy to stand on the sidelines and lob insults and lob reviews and mm-hmm. criticize. It's hard to get in the arena and actually be the one Great. doing and, and, and creating and building. Mm-hmm. And so it's the ultimate quote for any entrepreneur uh, and certainly for agencies. Uh, if you want you know, to um, uh, add the quote to the, the podcast or give a, provide a link, I'll send you a link to the full quote. But Very it's, cool. it's called the Man, the Man in the Arena by Theodore Roosevelt. And the key phrase is dare mighty things. You know, it's, it's funny because um, um, I just started a company called Your Ultimate Speech. And um, and I started another company, um, which is putting ads on vending machines of all places. And as, as, as you know, as I was working on these things and I was writing this speech for a certain someone I'll just tell you about in a second – uh, one of the things that that uh, I came across was a quote that says um, uh, things become socially interesting when they become technologically mundane, and you know a speech, the oldest communication medium in the world, is still extremely relevant. It's communicated in new ways digitally, um, and and I look at vending machines. I remember when we started this company, my friend said, "Have you ever noticed there's no ads on vending machines except for you know Coke and Dasani and Pepsi, and they own the machines, but the rest of them are just these ugly black boxes." And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's like the oldest medium in the world. It's like cave painting. And it's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. You know, clients are still buying it. They're still buying posters on the side of the roads. And you can do a crappy job of a poster at the side of the road or a radio commercial. Or you can do a good one. So I imagine it's mm-hmm. probably your experiences too. It, that stuff ain't going away. Is there still the appreciation for good creative, do you find that clients are saying, you know, I, I got all the skills, all the technology I need, uh, but the creative just isn't cutting it or yeah. are they paying attention I mean, to that? You, you, you asked me what skills marketers need to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one skill that marketers need to succeed, become a good writer. Huh. Number one skill, period. There's no other – because think about this. I don't care what profession you're in. Or even what discipline within marketing you're in, effectively communicating your thoughts through writing will always be valuable. It will always be important. And on the extreme side, you could be a copywriter where your job is to write words. Mm-hmm. On the less extreme side, your job is whatever other your job, whatever job you have. But writing is a key part of you communicating your thoughts, whether that's leading your team and communicating the message clearly, mm-hmm. whether that's you know. Um, trying to sell an idea uh, to a boss mm-hmm. or to peers or to whoever. 
And so, again, I still always go back to art and copy, right? Like right. those that are creative that can that can visually – I'm always in awe of people that can do um, explainer videos. I'll, I'll never forget when Andy Azula was the creative director at um, – Oh gosh, Richmond, Virginia agency, and they were the agency for UPS. And Andy Azula was the was the creative director, and he got up in front of a whiteboard and explained to UPS how he wanted this you know TV spot to be kind of a whiteboard video. And they were looking for somebody to do the the spot, and they pointed at him and said, "No, we want you to do the spot." And so this creative Martin agency, Martin, this creative yeah, director for the Martin agency, right Andy Azula became a minor celebrity when he was the UPS whiteboard guy. But the reality was he was just a, a visual creative guy from an agency who got asked to get in front of the camera because he had talent. And, um, you know, it didn't hurt that he was a good looking guy and, you know, had mm-hmm. flowing locks of hair and such, but regardless, um, you know, to me, I'm always in awe of true creative talent, and and the ultimate expression of creative is those that can take big data and take analytics and take insights that are gained from you know modern sources and technologies, and take those, those insights and apply that to creative. You know, uh, it, it's funny. Be, I got I got I got I got interject here because I, I remember sure. when, I, when I went on my own. Um, I talked to an old boss, not an old boss, a former boss of mine. I said, John, what is it that, that clients like about me? Because I'm trying to position myself. And I said, why would a client ever go with me? There's a million guys like me out there. And he says, because you're simple. And I'm like, great. I've got 20 years in advertising. I've got an education. I've made millions of dollars for clients. And that's it? I'm simple? He goes, no, no, that's a good thing. And over the years, I've come to appreciate that making things simple in our day and age is actually a very much in-demand skill because things are getting really complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and, and, and Andy Azula, it's super funny that you mentioned that because all he did was whiteboard, right? The explainer yeah. video. And, and you're going, that, that, we used to storyboard like that. That's what we did before we shot the commercial. But just making something so simple that a guy could write it on a whiteboard with his left hand and everybody gets it and loves it. That's a, that's very much in demand. So the old skills of just, you know, writing and thinking clearly is, is still very much in demand. Are there, are there companies, do you find that there are, are, that there are companies that take on that skill for, for, uh, for marketers, for brands? Oh yeah. Uh, well, well, you brought up a separate skill set to me than when we originally talked about. Is what you're saying is it's not just creative; uh-huh. it's also being able to take complex topics uh-huh. and boil them down and distill them into their simplest form. And that's what made you different than your peers and made you stand out from your peers. And you just reminded me of a quote by Pablo Picasso. It's short. He said, "It took me four years to paint like Raphael." but a lifetime to paint like a child. See, that's, that's brilliant. And, and you know, I, I, people look at kids' paintings, they think they're charming, but it, it's, really, it's really hard. And, and, and the, the, the amazing part is when you see it, you go, that's nice, but you don't ever think it's hard until you try to do it yourself, right? Paint right. like a child. And, yeah. and, so, and, so, and so to me, um, the best, you know, to go along with a skill set, I, I had mentioned writing as being important, but part of that is being able to communicate your thoughts clearly. And part of that is being able to take complex 
subjects and distill them down to their essence and communicate them. I mean, and as marketers, isn't that what we're all trying to do anyway? Yeah. We're trying to take, you know, what is the essence of the brand about Reese's? I'll, I'll never forget, we were working with Hershey. Um, this was an account that I brought in when I was back at the, uh, at the agency. Mm-hmm. And uh, the brand manager for Reese's told us, you know that there are two Reese's cups that come in the package, but Reese's is not made to share. He said, the way most people experience Reese's, you buy the package of Reese's cups and you peel open the orange plastic and you right. get the Reese's cup out and you peel off the celadon paper and you begin the, the, the roller coaster ride and you eat your, you know, some people eat it around the edges, some uh-huh. people just take a big bite, whatever. Some people freeze them, whatever. And, and you get to take that roller coaster ride one more time with the second cup. And we were helping them launch Reese's Minis, which is a bag full of like little tiny Reese's. And again, you know, if, if, if you buy a Reese's cups and you eat them by yourself, you're fine. If you buy a whole bag of those Reese's Minis and eat them yourself, you're a pig. <laughs> and so, and so the, the point is that it's made to share rather than, 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 than the cups. But we were helping them launch Reese's Mini through social. And so we created a whole story around, you know, Reese's Cup meets a Reese's Cup. Right. And they kiss and they right. fall in love. And the punchline, you know, you know that this story has the sweetest little ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a Reese's Mini uh, and we did a birth announcement around the mini um, launch. And we did all of this in social before the, you know, they were going to run TV, uh, uh, you know, three months after. But we wanted to give all of their social media fans a, a, a treat mm-hmm. by giving them first look at this new product that they were launching. And, right. you know, we, we wanted to boil it down to its very simplest form, which is, uh, you know, these are made to share, unlike the peanut butter cups, cups that you're made to eat on, your, you know, solo. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, for me, um, I, I, again, I have a, a ultimate respect for people that can take the complex, make it simple, and then and then communicate that in a really clear way. Whether their purpose is to sell something because they're actually a creative at an agency, or they just work in the you know business world, and mm-hmm. that, you know, my, everybody, whether they realize it or not, is a sale is in sales. You know, my kids right. are trying to sell me on dessert after dinner. My wife is trying to sell me on the movie she wants to watch instead of the movie I want watch. I mean, we're, right. we're all in sales, whether we realize it or not. So agency sparks, I'm going to, I'm going to take us back to agency sparks. Cause I don't, I don't want to take your entire day here. I know you've got a big company run agency sparks, the future. Uh, you talked earlier, um, about, you know, this, uh, that agencies having a really hard time, specialist agencies having a really hard time after they run out of all their contacts, friends and family scaling up their company because they are specialists and mm-hmm. agency sparks is the matchmaker, the e-harmony of, of connecting specialist agencies with brand people. Um, do you see agency sparks growing geographically or do you think that you can stay virtual? Yeah, originally when I started the company, my thought was to duplicate what we were doing here in Atlanta in other markets and hire another Joe Kaufman and team in the other market to have relationships with agencies in that market. 
what we found is that most clients don't care about geography so much anymore. Mm -hmm. It used to be that you looked only at agencies right in your market. Um, but as we've grown and as, as technology has improved, it's become easier and easier to work with people across distance. Right. And, so, frankly, I don't know that there's reason for us to specifically have, you know, offices in every city in the United States. And that's not to say that we don't um, work with agencies that aren't in Atlanta. So we've worked with agencies in D.C. and mm -hmm. Kansas City and North Carolina and here in Georgia and, and other places. Um, and we work with clients all around the all around North America. Um so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see us necessarily opening up an office in every city or anything like that. And 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 one thing that we've learned too is the majority of the agencies we work with are located here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons for that is not only is that just natural because that's where we have a lot of relationships, but Atlanta is an interesting market because we have one of the highest densities of Fortune 500 companies located in our market in the country. Right. Um, Delta Airlines, UPS, Rubbermaid. Home Depot, uh, Newell Rubbermaid, uh, Mercedes-Benz just moved to North American headquarters here, Porsche North America is here, et cetera. So, so we've got a lot of Fortune 500 companies. We've got, you know, very robust um, uh, university system with amazing schools. And we've just, just, just from a market standpoint, we have all of the nutrients that one would need to grow a really robust agency ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so the benefit of working with Atlanta agencies in particular is that the talent is top-notch, but the prices are not San Francisco or New York. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, we, 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 while we have agencies all around and we definitely don't only have, you know, Atlanta-based agencies, we've found that many clients like working with our agencies um, that are located in Atlanta because they're getting that quality talent with not as big a price tag. Okay, that takes me to the final question. I promise this will be the last one. But pricing. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that agencies always struggled with is pricing. Uh, you know, you start you start you do a pitch and uh, you give away spec work. So right away you're you're giving away work for free. You know, we, we always we talked about eHarmony, we talked about Tinder. It's like you're hooking up with someone, and before they even buy you dinner, you're going to second or third base. And <laughs> so you start the relationship, and then they say, okay, well you got to give it to us. You gave it to us free already. Now I'm going to expect you long term to give it to me way cheaper, or else I'm just going to go to your friend down the street and yeah. agencies have led themselves down this nasty path and commoditized themselves where basically we've become business card print shops because you know it, if we don't do it quick enough or cheap enough boom i think it was jay chide who said uh the, the the day you win a client you're one day closer to losing them and i could totally mm -hmm. understand that in the old way now i i imagine enough of us are out there going we got to stop this we got to change this um, how does agency sparks feed into that? Does, is, is, you know, if, if you're representing specialist agencies, are they, do you see a lot more agencies pricing based on the value they're bringing to the client? If they can even quantify that, or is it still yeah. down to a website cost a and a website with this cost B and fries with that cost C? Yeah, there are two, two pieces of that. First, you brought up spec creative and, and that kind of thing, which I have a very strong opinion about spec. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe doing spec to show
show the brand that you understand them and their customer or their client is okay. Mm -hmm. Doing spec to show the client what the output of your work will look like is not okay. And there's a big difference. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So when we were pitching Calphalon cookware, which is a brand by Newell Rubbermaid, yeah. uh, you know, kind of high-end cookware, um, we they came to us and asked us to um, build a product configurator where you could mix and match non-stick and stainless steel pots and pans into a set and buy a set and get a discount off of the set versus just buying individual pans. And it was sort of a first ever of its kind. And their brief said they wanted to build Calphalon by me, you know, which was a mix and match thing. And we came to them in the pitch with the idea that your, your target audience is inspired foodies. And for the inspired foodie, um, pots and pans are no different than a canvas would be for an artist or an instrument would be for a musician. It's about expressing yourself creatively in the kitchen. And so we came up with this whole idea, which was uh, your set by Calphalon, which was not only it's a set for you, but you're all set. You know, uh, it's, it's literally a physical set, but also, you know, your set. You're ready. And yeah. so, yes. So, so, my point is, we didn't tell them, like, like at the, in the pitch, we said, look, we can build you your product configurator, no problem, and it will cost what you budgeted for it, no problem. But if you really want to resonate with your target audience, it could be so much bigger than this. It could be so much better than this. So, yes, we could, it's arrogant if you go to the client and just tell them that they're wrong and offer them something different than what they asked for, but... There, there's, a, there's a concept um, in improv that I love that's called yes and. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the concept is, you know, you're, you're not saying no, you're, you're, you're building on somebody's idea. So the client comes to you with the, with the brief or with the RFP or whatever, and they say, here's what I'm looking for. And what your answer should be is yes. And yeah. also you could think about this too. Yeah. And so I, I think that the, to, to get back to your pricing question, um, traditionally agencies have priced work based on the number of hours it will take for their people to complete it. So they right. go, I'm paying these people an average of X number of dollars per hour. It's going to take them 85 hours to do this project, and we need to market up this percent and then offer it for this fixed rate or this right. you know, time and materials rate or whatever. The challenge with that is it discounts experience. It right. discounts thinking. So, you know, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And you know, I once I bought a piece of art from a friend of mine who's an artist, and I made the mistake of asking him how long it took for him to paint the, the to make the piece that he that he sold me, mm-hmm. and he said ten minutes. <laughs> I, like, I just paid what for a token that took you ten minutes, and and he said, yeah, but it took me twenty years to become this good as a painter, and. Yeah. The reality is um, agencies that are just pricing their, their, their work based on the number of hours it will take the person to do the work are discounting the strategy, the creative, and the, you know, the years that it took to be able to get to the point where, it doesn't, where you become efficient and, and good. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I think agencies do themselves a disservice when they just 
multiply the number of hours they think it'll take by some rate yeah. with some markup. I think that, that, that clients need to choose agencies based on their skill and expertise. Yeah. And, you know, I think that they're willing to pay for quality. Right. Right. I also wonder if, if, if there's ever going to be a way, cause I remember we used to, we used to try to do this all this, all the time, results-based fees, you know, or, or value-based fees. So we, we sit down with you and, uh, we do the yes. And okay, you're giving us the brief to build a website. And, you know, we think that you could also do this, 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 because you're forgetting this market and it will, I bet you that it will boost your sales by X, Y, Z. Um, do you think agencies or clients are ever going to take the bait and say, you know what, if you can do that, if you can give me an extra $10 million in sales, I'll give you 5% of that. Do you think that that's ever going to work, or are there just too yeah, many variables? No. I mean, frankly, it happens, and certainly pay performance is out there. Uh-huh. But, I mean, it's like – I don't know if you've ever seen the, – there's a video that, that Microsoft put out some years ago, and I think it was called The Client in the Real World or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the, you walk into the restaurant, and you say, well, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you – you know, 10 bucks for the $30 steak that you made me. And the reason is that, um, the reason that, that I can get away with it is because, you know, I had beef at the other place and it was the same, or, or how about you give me the cut and the, and then, and the highlights, but I'll just pay you for the cut. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of that in, in paper performance, which is just pay me for the work that I do. You know, if I'm going to do good work for you, if the agency is going to do good work for you, for you pay them for it. Mm-hmm. If, if the agency wants to take on some risk and offer a paper performance deal, that's up to them to, to, to I think, offer as an option. Mm-hmm. But I feel that often, um, you know, at the end of the day, for agencies to thrive, they need to be able to make a margin enough to be a successful business. You right. know, it's a, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not fully sold on paper yeah. performance. Yeah. Awesome. Now I want to, I want to work with you. So, uh, what do I do? I, I'm running a small digital agency on the West coast, say, and I think that I've got something fairly unique and I'm just so damn tired of constantly chasing projects. So what do I do? How do I get a hold of you? What do I do? Yeah. Well, there, there are two different aspects of working with us. One is on the agency side of things. Traditionally, we've only had one agency in each discipline that we've vetted extremely well, and we've you know to ensure that they're really the top agency in that category. But we actually are talking about expanding our model to include more agencies in each discipline, mm-hmm. so that we can include more you know, potentially agency partners, which gives more choices to the client. Um, so, I mean, short answer is agencysparks.com, and you can reach out to us there. Um, you can subscribe. We, we publish content um, fairly prolifically, but there's a, a weekly marketer's toolbox, which each week we just put send a simple tool to the marketer's inbox. And these are mostly free or inexpensive tools that we've found really useful from a marketing perspective. Every other week, we publish a an infographic, a marketing-related infographic, and then once a month, we publish a newsletter. So if you go to agencysparks.com, uh, to, in the top... Uh, at the very top of the site, there's a, a 
bar that you can click that goes to our preferences center. Right. And you can subscribe to agencysparks.com slash preferences. But, but the other side of the coin is that brands that need help finding an agency or a specialist agency can reach out to us. And usually it just begins with a conversation. And now, hey, hold on. Let me, let me interrupt there because I'm, I'm a brand and you're going to set me up with someone, but it's not the old crowdsourcing model where you pat me on the bum and say, all right, go have fun and uh, good luck. Uh, uh, you actually, you're actually, you, you actually have like a concierge, so that I'm a brand, yeah. and you're you're walking with me, and I'm going, hey, you know, uh, Joe, I'm not really happy with these guys, and you you uh, you become the the contact, the person who makes sure that everything goes the way I want, right? Yep. Go to go back to the analogy that you used earlier. We're not the Tinder. We're probably more like the eHarmony or Match.com or one of the other other dating sites. Uh, we have curated a list of agencies that we feel are best of breed in their discipline. And we often are making matches with clients with those agencies because we feel that they're really great at what they do. Mm -hmm. But also if an agency, if a client comes to us and says, you know what, the agency that you match us with is not a perfect fit. We're happy to make recommendations of other agencies that we have relationships with. So we're, we're, we're constantly curating that list of, of agencies to understand, and, and we put them each through a very rigorous vetting process so that we know that they really are great at the thing that they say they are, and we, we never want to make a match with an agency that's not a good fit. Because ultimately, as a brand, I'm looking for reassurance. I'm looking for being able to rest easy knowing that somebody's got my back, right? That's why I went with mm -hmm. the generalist agency because I had my account service guy and he was watching my back through all the steps. I want somebody to get my back. So you, that is built right into the model. Yeah, and, and, and part of the trouble of clients finding agencies is that your worldview is limited by your relationships. Mm -hmm. So you only know, like, like when, when an agency wants to do a review or hire, I'm sorry, when a client wants to do a review and hire an agency, what do they do? They, they ask a couple of colleagues within the building, hey, what agencies have you worked with? What have you heard of? Who do you know? Mm -hmm. And they may even ask a, a colleague that works, you know, for a, another company, what agencies would you recommend we look at? And then they throw them all into the hat and they do a big RFP process and they hope, they pray that at the end of that process that spits out a good agency for them. Mm -hmm. And and the challenge with that process is it's it's pretty flawed. It doesn't often result it often results in a bad decision. Mm -hmm. Um and and it it results in a broken relationship down the road. We read a lot about yeah, we read a lot about the broken agency client relationship on our blog. And um, I think that it's a better way to utilize a partner that can kind of be a Sherpa for you and help you guide, guide you through the process. Um, you know, search consultants do this a bit where you pay a search consultant to help you find your agency. Um, you know, but then, but then, they, but then they hand you off, right? And and you're done. Yeah. I mean, I, I would liken what you do almost a bit to, to a golf caddy, a really good golf caddy walks the whole course with you, develops a personal relationship along the way, and uh, probably knows how to golf better than you, uh, yeah. but doesn't ever cross that line, you know, doesn't actually do the work for you, just pushes you in the right, gives you a little nudge in the right direction, yeah. tells you five iron versus seven iron, and and, uh, and, and tells you where to aim. Uh, well, that's a wonderful Absolutely. reassurance, you know? 
Yeah, no, and we, we and for me, there's no bigger thrill than when you know when when we get a thank you from a client because. A, I would have never known about that agency, and B, they're perfect for us. Now, they're yeah. not perfect for everybody, but they're perfect for us. That's that's the most rewarding part of this business for me. And you know, again, it harkens back to what we talked about earlier. For me and my team, the thrill is in making the match. It's just fun, mm-hmm. and yeah, we get paid to do it. But I suspect that even if we didn't get paid to do it, we'd still be matching, you know, clients and agencies together in some way, shape, or form. Um, just like, you know, the, um, recruiting piece, you know, right. matching marketing talent with marketing roles is or hooking up your similar. friends and, and getting them married like you do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've been to, I think I went to two or three of the weddings where I made the introduction, which was, that could either was be really, cool. that could either be really, really good or really, really uncomfortable 10 years down the road, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, Mark. This has been a blast. And, you know, it's, it's fun to have this conversation with somebody who uh, has been there and spent the time in the agency world and understands how those relationships work. It's, it's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email.